welcome to another session of uh, Beer and Bites, hosted by Chris Jordan and Jeremy Murdishaw. And today's episode, we've got the PTP Cloud team with us, Steve Hovener and Micah Frederick and Aaron Jespi. And if I've said any of those wrong, guys, please correct me. But I would say at this point in time, let's go ahead and show our beers and whatever else we brought to drink, and let's uh, get busy with it. So with All right, that, Al, what are you drinking today? I've got a Voodoo Ranger uh, from uh, New Belgium. It's the IPA from India. Juicy, right? Yep, and I then went and purchased uh, five other cans, IPAs from Texas. So the next episodes will have Texas-based IPAs. And it won't be Tito's. <laughs> well, I've got the, uh, the Golden Roads Lazy L.A. Hayes IPA. This is an amazing beer, local brew here it's in L.A. La Ipa? Huh? It's not La Ipa? Lagunitas? No. <laughs> All right, I got my What do you got, now. Chris? I went back with my three uh, now. I'm going back to those, those uh, Charlotte Richmond kind of beers. So Chris, I know you, you have the tall, the tall beer. There. Yeah, you know what? I like the pints. They make these shows go a lot easier. Yeah. And, uh, it's an 8-percenter, which also makes the show go a little bit easier, too. Though I got I got a cook after this. And, and the questions will get a whole lot easier by the end of the show, too. Yeah, they, well, they're pretty easy in the beginning, too. All right, so why don't you guys pick in? You want to start with Steve? How do you want to start? Steve, why don't you begin? I'll because start. Odd man out. It's Hovenar, not Hovenar. That's the first thing I was supposed to correct now. Um, so I'm drinking gin, but it did come from a brewery, uh, uh, Big Woods Brewery. It's a hard truth distillery. Um, so they make beer and gin, but I'm off beer as we <clears throat> talked about the weight loss program I'm on at this point. So, so that's the best I can do. It's alcohol. It is a double because it is, you know, we're being recorded and that's the only way I can do this. <laughs> awesome. All right, Micah. <laughs> All right, I'm going with uh, Ryan Guy's Hustle. It's a local Cincinnati brewery. This is an IPA. This is the beer they always come out with when it should be Reds, you know, baseball opening day. Kind of missed that. I'm still Painful. drinking the beer. Painful. Well, Aaron Jeske, and I've got the uh, Founders All Day IPA because with this quarantine that we're all suffering through, I too am worried about my weight, and uh, I try to keep it a little bit lighter. Just take us just a little bit through what it is that PTP does uh, for the business world. You know, I'm going to talk about what I do. Aaron can probably fill in what he does because we're kind of, it's a difference between professional services and managed services. Um, what, what I look at, I look at what we do as primarily two roles, um, you know, and that's simplifying it down. And that is, you know, we are either an extension of someone's security team um, or we are the security team. <laughs> so when I say that, uh, we, we're going to do uh, SOC services, 24 by 7, eyes on glass with security monitoring. We're going to do vulnerability um, management. We're going to do uh, multi-factor. We're going to do DNS security, um, centralized endpoint protection management. Um, and we've done compliancy help, so kind of virtual CISO role as well. And like I said, I mean, a lot of times we are typically the extension, you know, what happens with it, with a lot of companies, if anyone's been in any kind of big company or small company, 
in the security team, you have all these things you need to do and you have all the time to just do about that much of the things you need to do. So we, we like to look at ourselves as the people that come in and do that, the bulk of uh, the things that you would like to get done. Or maybe you start up companies coming in and that company doesn't have a security uh, engagement team at all. I mean, we, we talk a little bit about AWS and, and AWS things and people rolling out to the cloud. A lot of those companies are filled with developers. And unlike Micah and Chris on the call that are security minded <laughs> development uh, guys, a lot of those guys aren't security minded development um, types. So we come in a lot of times and help those companies get going. I'll turn it over to Aaron, who's more <laughs> of the professional services role. So that being said, we're professional. I'm, I'm managed services. That's going to be mm -hmm. ongoing engagements that are long-term contracts. So how are you getting this, Aaron? Great, thanks. So, uh, so I'm I'm leading up the professional services practice, engaging uh, predominantly with life sciences organizations. Uh, PTP is an AWS advanced partner. Uh, late uh, late last year, uh, we achieved our life sciences certification, which is a really great achievement, especially for an organization yeah. of size being you know that 50ish uh, headcount. Um, predominantly engineers, thankfully, but uh, <laughs> we've got about 50 heads. Uh, and to achieve that, that life sciences certification really helps set us apart. We're based predominantly based in the Boston area, which is where a lot of our sales team is based out of. Um, and Boston is just booming with the therapeutics industry at this point. Right. It made a lot of sense for us to align with that. So we also have, uh, not only do we have engineers on our professional services team, but we also have engineers that uh, were scientists at one point in time. Uh, so we have another gentleman by the name of Bill Amsbaugh who helps represent more on the hard science side of it. So we like to engage with, you know, I'll speak specifically to the therapeutics company for side first, uh, you know, really from a soup to nuts side, that, that biotech startup that is going out there and saying, hey, I need everything. I, I, I just left my university lab. I've got funding and I need and a soup to nuts, full pipeline. And that's what we're really helping build on the Amazon platform. So that's, that's what we've been doing a lot of recent, recently, but we have a, a customer base that is based, uh, that uh, really spans the whole spectrum of really every industry. We work in manufacturing, uh, hospitality, uh, you know, really the, the full, the full uh, gambit of things that you see there. And that's, that's how we ended up getting our advanced year partnership and then grew into life sciences when we saw what, such a rich opportunity in the, uh, in the Boston area. All right, Micah, do you want to bring us home with the last of the pieces of this puzzle? Sure, why not? I do nothing, no. Um, <laughs> I report to Steve, so I work a lot on the managed service side. Um, but I also deal with some of the professional services on the cloud side. So my background is much more DevOps, security automation, um, full stack engineering, all that kind of stuff. So the day-to-day -day, uh, with our managed services, I help build a lot of the automation, build integration with our other tools, build integrations with our customers, um, kind of custom build some of those solutions that we need to automate um, those day-to-day -day tasks. Uh, and then with Aaron, you know, I, I work with um, new customers we have building out, you know, some new solutions as they come in and actually taking um, and building some of those kind of DevOps opportunities as we... Uh, build out some of that automation for new customers. If I can jump back in for one second, no problem. just to toot the PTP horn a little bit louder, if you don't mind. Uh, so we, we also really like to take on just different ways of engaging with the user community, uh, really, you know, helping support the user groups in Cincinnati, you have these user groups in Cincinnati here in the Boston area. 
additionally, we, we like to find new products and really help get get in early on those things. And, and I'm not sure if the team here is, is uh, has been seen AWS Deep Racer, the, the AI ML driven racing cars. We were the first partner globally to, to hold an event where it was open to the public. Traditionally, Amazon sponsors those with you know a large consulting provider. They bring in just a, a close set of people. We're the first consult, consulting partner globally to offer that. And um, Jeff Barr just retweeted us. We're doing a virtual Deep Racer event next week. Wow. This video is out there. Please check that out. Um, I'm pretty proud to say that PTP is getting noticed all the way up the chain to folks like Jeff Barr. Yeah, let's make sure we put a link on, uh, on the YouTube channel for it. Yeah, that's a, I think the deep race is pretty interesting. I know you guys were involved with that. Um, so let's start, Aaron, because PTP is what it is today wasn't what it was three years ago, right? All right. So when a PTP came out, it was what? Uh, Pinnacle Technology Partners? Pinnacle Technology Partners, yeah. And it was okay. maybe 20 of us. And, it, you know, it's been started by a gentleman, Ethan Simmons, uh, Mike okay. Uh, and Eric Ranson were their original founding partners, and we really just had a, a, a cloud, a cloud first or cloud formation practice starting to build up. Uh, we ended up bringing another partner on, a gentleman by the name of Chris Duzio, who uh, ran a company that had a similar pinnacle name in it. So obviously, these guys kind of naming bias thing going on there. Um, but they, so they, uh, we brought in this other uh, support group as we, you know, have you know, two years to two and a half, two years, uh, three years to two years, brought in this uh, Cisco practice as well where we really were trying to focus on the SD-WAN aspect of it, focusing on how can we help enable customers get to the cloud fast. Right. Um, that wasn't enough. So we just kept on going and said, let's bring in the server practice. Let's build out the, the, the professional services. Let's bring out the managed services. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the most interesting part about PTP is, is how you wound up where you are today. I mean, everybody, everybody had a plan, and, and like most plans, it didn't last very long, right? Yeah, so... Uh, we thought we were going to, you know, be sailing away on our brand new yachts uh, because of the AWS resale program. Uh, and we found out that, well, there's a reason that everybody's AWS bills are messed up because managing your AWS costs are really hard. <laughs> and it's hard to make money on something that's hard to control. So, um, you know, we've gotten better at that over the years and helped a lot of customers get, you know, really uh, tuned in, you know, honed in on their on their budgets. Um, but, you know, we thought day one, oh, we're just going to click a button and load Cloud Checker and everybody's going to be fine. Okay, that, that, and that's another link we should put on is Cloud Checker. So I think Cloud Checker is pretty yep. interesting. I think that really was where I wanted to begin with this whole thing. So most people always, I don't know if you've ever seen that terrible bumper sticker or sticker overall, like the cloud is just somebody else's computer, right? And <laughs> let's just be honest, the cloud has nothing to do with somebody else's computer. I mean, you have the AWS and the, the platforms, whether it's Google or AWS or Azure, it's, there's the entire platform, and if all you're doing is auditing the elements, you're not actually seeing the platform, right? So, Micah, since you have to deal with all the all these pieces and all these components, if you were to go to a layman and say, you're going to take your service and move it to the cloud, can you explain to me why the cloud isn't somebody else's computer? Well, I mean, I guess in a way it is someone's really, really complicated computer, but just isn't it doesn't work the way that um people would think of their normal infrastructure like you're not going to go and take this application and you just stick it in the cloud on the server and it just exists like it does in a uh in your on-premise environment you could start that way 
but you're not really embracing what makes the cloud. You're going to have a nasty bill. If you're just going to post it onto yeah, a virtual just, system and run it 7 by 24 on a high-end system, it's, it's just going to get ugly. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't get to take advantage of all the things that a cloud system can do that a normal system can't. Um, you know, you have all your like serverless environments that let you spin things up and down, like on demand, you know, on demand resources, on demand, you know, processing, um, different your, storage types, right? You got your storage SD, types, your, your EBS, yeah. all those different things, how you store data, like you can store them in long-term storage, you can put them in short-term storage. Um, I also think there's a definite element with cost, um, People used to in a normal environment, you just stand up and you go, well, I buy this one server, it's $10,000 or whatever. And then you just use it until you run out of space and you have to buy something else Yeah. or you never utilize it at all. Um, so a big part of the cloud is getting much better at only paying for what you're going to use at a time. Um, and then that's ignoring all the wonderful security concerns that exist and the fact that you've just stuck your entire application in the middle of a public environment. Well, I, I imagine yeah. that the, the case, which is probably typically very expensive, and that's utility based on your usage, almost like a cell phone, right? But most people don't understand that you don't have a, uh, hey, I've got a solid wire connection going from my place to that place where that other computer system may be. It, it could be routed all over the world for what, people don't understand. Yeah, I think it's, I agree with you. I think that, but the biggest, I think the biggest difference in, in cloud computing, and I think it's a reason why services have to exist. First of all, how many different things, how many certifications get in AWS? I mean, how complicated is AWS? If you were to get all those services, are you going to be a full-time student by the time you get all the certificates? You'd be pretty close. Yeah. It took me, uh, yeah me over three years and uh and, and this was being you know in a professional services world being exposed to these services every single day hearing different use cases you know and and to, to your point i think chris uh, you know you're how there's so many things to learn but you you can't possibly keep up with it therefore you don't know where you can really always improve your specific areas of uh, you know, like, right. like data look at the number of databases that amazon offers at any given moment uh, i was you know that reinvent two years ago uh, and, and we were launching a, a brand new uh, service using DynamoDB. We walked downstairs and they released time series database, which was exactly what we were trying to do with that DynamoDB. <laughs> We've been live for four hours and it's already depreciated. <laughs> like it's, it's our deprecated service. So uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, there's five major certifications and now there are another four uh, practice areas to get your certifications in. It's just impossible to say up on top of it. One, if one person saying they know it all, they only know the, the logos. That's it. And how dominant is the security testing in those? Is it is it always a big thing, or is it always just a small little component? I've never uh, taken them. <laughs> security, and I can speak a little more to the networking side. We haven't had too many people dive into the security-specific competencies, uh, but I'll just say one of the best CCIEs I've known has struggled a couple of times, he took him a couple of whacks at that test. To, to so it's pass. just not somebody else's computer then, huh? No, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, somebody, else's, it's somebody else's lexicon. It's, uh, you know, it's not only uh, lexicon, but, you know, with lexicon language as well. It's that, that it's more than a Rosetta Stone. It's, um, you know, you also then have to have the nuances of what language was like in that environment. So you can get the technology. Sorry. 
Four kids at home. <laughs> okay. You see, we're used to the dogs too. Don't worry about it. You got those California dogs going. <laughs> so I know. I know. You, you've got um, you know, you've got you've got the nuance of language to pick up on as well. So and, and I think Mike I've really experiences that. I'm sure Steve sees it as, as as well when we're starting to digest all these logs coming into our environments. It's like, well, this thing kind of looks like some it's saying there's an area issue here, but maybe it's not. Uh, you know, we've we've seen uh you know, the, the, and understand the, the complexity of the routing. Uh, quite often, uh, customers end up with authentication attempts that look like they're coming from countries that they should not have. But it's yeah. the, DNS, the DNS reflection. It's you know completely. You, if you find the path, you can correlate it. But how do you ask those questions? And with the, with you know the black box that is cloud, you know this, yeah, there's a lot of documentation. But you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times a day I say uh, whatever alien technology Amazon deployed to get transit gateway to work or a database replication or this security uh, pattern. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just impossible for anybody to, to know all that stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I think, Chris, one thing I want to point out, too, is that, you know, when you talk about it's not somebody else's computer or, or in Micah's words, it's someone else's very complex computer. It's also someone else's 100,000 data centers. Um, it's also someone's, you know, as a small company or a large company, you know, large companies spend a lot of time on disaster recovery. They spend a lot of time on, uh, you know, continuity plans. If something happens, you know, the cloud shift is really about the fact that now as a small or large company, you can, you can, you're not relying on that hard drive to stay up all the time. You're not, you got, you don't have that raid five, you know, that you're hoping that, that two drives will go at the same time. Yeah, so, Michael, I mean, Michael I will tell that, you, though, you got the EBS issue versus the S3. Like, everybody loves EBS, but that's four nines of durability or two nines of durability or whatever. It's the low durability number. S3's yeah. got 11, right? So if you want something that's good, put in the S3, but then you can't pull it out as quick. Yeah, right. That, awesome. Language translation lexicons have, yeah, you still, you're still talking about data availability, data durability, but you usually would speak to it in that case of RAID. And now it's like, well, now I'm actually looking uh, yeah. Um, and, then, and to really throw a kink in it, look at EFS. <laughs> you know, there's a whole other storage tier that is, you know, that has all of its complexities with it that people are starting to use heavily too. So, and I think yeah. what you get, especially when you start going on, when Amazon first came out, you came out with things like EC2, EBS, RDS, these base services that they are just replicating standard infrastructure and they put it into a cloud environment. When you're a new company or you're starting up a new application, you would almost never recommend any of those traditional infrastructure services in AWS to do almost anything. Um, those are a lot of it for like being able to legacy move stuff. But if you're building pure cloud applications or pure stuff from the ground up, you will probably may never see those kind of base level infrastructure services because why would you use them? Like you can use the, all the advantages that you get from their hundred thousand data centers and their tens of thousands of architects that are building data lakes and building redundant data systems oh, for you. They, they say it all the time. Once you get on one of the clouds, it's really hard to port to another. Now, Jeremy, did you bring up Wasabi one time? Yep. Yeah, so that, and that's another complication is, is that Wasabi sits on the outside, but it's cheaper to have the same speed, right? So it adds another engineering parameter to it. Now, yeah. so Steve, you got, you're running the MSSP part of it, right? Yeah. So 
how does that MSSP change when you're, when you're dealing with AWS? Because traditionally, like Jeremy knows this because he's running a very distributed type of network, but how does the, does the client really understand the implementation, implementations, whatever that word is, yeah. of AWS mobile devices like Sandblast? We're going to get that one eventually. Sandblast. Um, oh, yeah. And then you got uh, what? You got SD, you guys brought up SD WAN, you brought up Cisco. So you're, you're talking Meraki, but there's Peplink out there, right? And the Fortinets are kind of being used like SD WAN nowadays by people. Silver Peak. Yeah. 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 So, 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 Steve, you're dealing with this. Is it a hard topic to have with somebody or do they care? I mean, do people really understand that their infrastructure has changed, especially with COVID? Think about it. I mean, your networks are now boom spread out. We used to have like a single point on our graphics saying this is where your users are. And now they're all spread out across the, across the state, right? And in our case, across the country, and you guys too, across the country. So what's yeah, it like I mean, now? I think, I think that, you know, you see a couple of things when you're, when you're dealing with, well, first of all, I think one, one thing that happened with COVID is a lot of people with traditional systems realize the power of the cloud. So if you're sitting there with, let's yeah. say, Let's say you've got to send everybody home and you have a VPN set, set up for 50 people and you need to send 5,000 home all of a sudden or 500 people and you need to send 5,000 home. So the cloud became a place to say, well, wait, hold on. You're saying we can spin up virtual VPNs in the cloud um, and everyone can, can uh, attach all of a sudden. And then a lot of the old traditional infrastructures, then your only bottleneck now is how many pipes are coming into your, into your system. So that's that's something I think that, you know, people are starting to realize the power of the cloud. I will say that, you know, some, the other part that we run into, we talk about security, um, everyone on the other end of this, whereas, as, you know, this is all new and fun and, and easy to spin up, a lot of people are dropping the traditional security that they still need to do. <laughs> they still need to monitor um, their systems. They still need to make sure that they're locked down, you know, it's it's fairly common to see every user within the cloud, cloud environment be an admin um, or uh, root accounts with uh, public and private keys. I mean, just it's an amazing um, kind of way to say, yeah, it's all new, but you still have to take the traditional security over with it. So I think that people understand that the cloud is fast, fun, and we have unlimited resources. They don't realize, hey, we got to lock it down. We, we still need to watch our stuff. Amazon's only guaranteeing this part of the security versus this part. So a lot of what I do is a lot of coming in and talking to people about how to lock down their systems and how to, how to use products like cloud checker and um, do, do kind of ongoing auditing and make sure that those systems uh, are, are updated. We have a lot of, you know, with, today's day and age of MFA. You'd think <coughs> go to the cloud, everyone's gonna be on multi-factor at this point. They're not. <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah. really believe that people think, oh, the, Amazon's got this. I, I'll just join Amazon. They're, they're uh, you know, the government uses them. That's great, they do. So using, and they do know, have their part of it locked down. Microsoft. What's that? <laughs> Microsoft, you know, they use that, the Jedi contract or something. Yep. That, uh, you know, everybody wants to chisel on the business, the billion there. Yeah. So, so Jeremy, I, yeah. are you using two, what two factor are you like on the on the cloud? Are you a duo guy or are you a Office 365 Azure? What's your multi factor? I'm an Okta guy. Both. Okay. You like Okta? 
Yeah. I have a full guide here at PTP. I have a folder on my phone that's just labeled 2FAs, just for all the 2FA tools I have installed. Uh, well, Unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, but you know what? I'd rather have that than, than have uh, you know, the number of customers that I do initial logins for and, and don't see any 2FA installed. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's pretty scary. In fact, you know, I, I had a friend message me this morning saying, hey, how do I catch somebody that broke into my, my child's webcam? Like, well, your child's webcam doesn't have 2FA, then you shouldn't be installing it in your house. You know, if, if you don't have a camera here, you, and then you're not, you leave all your intellectual property out in your internet, uh, you know, out in the public internet. It's crazy. I mean, Amazon. I don't think people outside this this security industry even know what two FA is. I mean, I have conversations with bank all the time, banks, and 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 none of them. They're all just well, just make your password longer. <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah. Doesn't that was proven to be a, a misnomer, right? I mean, I think the rainbow table is that. Well, it works if they're only using a dictionary attack, but since really it's just social engineering is how they're going to get your password, it doesn't really matter how long you make it or how complicated exactly. you give it to yeah, we, we can have a, a session on, right. on how to defeat 2FA. Um, so, you know, the, the, unfortunately, a lot of people don't know how 2FA works, and they're being scammed, right? I, people call them up saying, hey, this is the bank, and I'm going to give you a message. Can you read back the number for me, please? And they do. Yeah. You know? yeah, I mean, and they were doing this back in AOL days 30 years ago with the RSA tokens. Now, I'm, I'm a little upset. I use 2FA on, on my phone and it's face yep. recognition, but my son cracked that in like three seconds when I said, you can't open my phone without my face. And he just went, <laughs> <Got it>. so, <laughs> you, got, you guys have brought up a couple of points about the cloud and the cloud costs. And you've brought up cloud checker. Um, I'm a cloud checker partner, right? Just like you guys. But I'm curious to know what made you settle on using cloud checker? Did you look at Turbonomics? Why not use AWS's native tools? You know, how and, and, and then why do you why would the the average sysadmin or CIO want something like this in their environment? So, uh, so we, we ended up uh, partnering. We, you know, there's also Cloud Health, which is a Boston-based company. Um, and I, you know, I, I, my, in my previous lives, I used Cloud Health. Uh, quite honestly, what really attracted us as a, to be a Cloud Checker partner is they started, a lot of these companies started because they were billing providers. They were helping you break out and, and identify a tag and associate to charge back or show back or my new favorite one, shame back, you know, to reporting into the business units. Um, so, you know, they all started really in that area. And, and you can even see Netflix Ice, and I don't remember that open source project was a similar thing. And they all kind of forked their, created their, their services from that. Cloud Checker started from the security perspective. They said, no, we want to go in there and, you know, find out what are the best practices. Are we actually adhering to what are industry best practices through, uh, you know, certification or, or uh, you know, audit from an audit perspective or in Amazon's perspective? This, is, this, is, this was happening way before a war document or anything like that existed. So, um, so yeah, that's where uh, uh, Cloud Checker started, and then they took on the billing perspective. So they had a, just a, a breadth of knowledge of security best practices and and infrastructure best practices before they worried about billing. So I see a lot of people partnering up with Cloud Checker, saying, "Hey, look, it's a it's a great billing platform." Yeah, it's a great billing platform, but it's an excellent security platform to get people aware of you know baseline configuration. If you want to give an auditor a dashboard that says, hey, I'm HIPAA compliant, we can give that auditor a login and they can see real time how your how all of your accounts, not just a single account, 
how all of your accounts are stacking all up against their requirements. And you know what? I, I, I just got to add, every time I hear this is, you know, this product's a great security platform and things like that, it's just one piece of the cake mix, right? You got to have an entire end-to-end yeah. uh, thought process or alignment around security. I, I yeah. totally, totally agree with you. So, I, so what I like to tell the, the folks when they're, when they're coming onto our Cloud Checker platform is we are going to tell you this is a best practices check. We aren't checking, it, we aren't checking packets. We aren't checking application deployments. We aren't validating that your, that your IAM roles are actually being given the right policies. What we're doing is a best practice validation against your environment. So you can pass those audits and say, look, yeah, we need to dig deeper. And as Al points out, you gotta dig, you got to dig deeper. But from an audit perspective, it can really help you get a good jump start. And then from the billing perspective, it'll make sure that you don't go out and blow $16,000 in, in right. six hours like a customer of mine did because somebody apparently fell asleep on the enter key and restarted their job 16 times in a row. <laughs> so you know, it'll help catch those types of things. So in comparison to the AWS tools, like so, uh, you know, you've got you've got Cost Explorer and you've got uh, tr- uh, Trusted Advisor. So Trusted Advisor, great tool. It gives sixty or something checks out of the gate, and then you, you can go in and configure all those tools, and you, you can go configure Trusted Advisor to do everything that Cloud Checker does. But you're going to sink a lot of engineering time to go educate Trusted Advisor on how to do that, unless you've got somebody that's taken a whole bunch of IP from a previous employer and stuff it into your into your AWS account for you. So that's so Trusted Advisor can do it, but you have to you have to train it to do. Yeah, it. yeah, I think you're going down the right road, Aaron. I think for the most part, when you take a look at any of these providers, whether it's Google, AWS, or Amazon, or or uh, <laughs> Google, Amazon, what's the other one? Microsoft, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, they're really giving you the Alibaba. They're giving you minimal capability. I hate to say it. They think it's the world's greatest thing. It's literally the minimal capability. I mean, you look at Sentinel from from you know Azure, and as a sim, I mean, it's like the PowerPoint of of sims. It's, it's a very oversimplified capability. And you know what? It's great to pull data from, but it's not a tool that I would use every day. Right. Security I, argument to be made that it's it's also good to have a outside tool checking Amazon and not Amazon checking Amazon. Well, and I, getting to the point of intelligence versus data, and I think that the big guys love to give you data, but then they're asking you to have the intelligence to understand it, right? And 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 if my job is health, listen, those guys are freaking geniuses when it comes down to breaking down the genome, but. Most of them don't understand two-factor authentication, never mind all the nuances of how to handle a cloud versus prem versus SD-WAN versus mobile. Um, and so I guess I'm on my soapbox right now. But <laughs> but it, it, it kind of wraps up to this whole thing to me that, so here you are as PTP, right? And you brought up Cloud Checker, Jeremy's brought up Cloud Checker. You're dealing with a different environment today and you're dealing with different technology, and you guys are all workers. I, I, I got to pull up the sales guy. In. How do you sell to somebody? I guess you all, everybody's a salesperson, right? Mm-hmm. How do you sell the fact that they're bread and butter, you have a facility, art site, curate our world is dead. How do you sell that to them? So from, uh, from just a raw security perspective or, or, the, or the general cloud perspective? If you're talking to a CISO, yep. and a CISO, like, how do you convince a CISO, listen, 
you just can't shoot your data over to your local SIM and think it, it was designed 20 years ago. I mean, how do you convince the CISO to take it seriously, to take, well, nowadays, I guess they take SD-WAN and the home user seriously, but how do, they, how do you convince them to take the cloud seriously? So, Steve, I don't know if you have a stronger answer than me, but I'll give my, my, my quick, quick response on this. Uh, every, that as, you know, as, as my phone now has a 20 billion gigapixel camera in it, and my and my screen resolution on that is so fine. So that's accuracy and resolution. You know, you, you, accuracy and resolution in your environment is always improving based on the technology that you're being provided. So if you were going to shift your environment, as 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 Micah said, you know, somebody else's significantly more complex computer, does your legacy tool that had high accuracy and resolution on a less complex environment going to retain those same capabilities? as you go up and, you know, and, and I know accuracy and resolution are always one of those things. It's like, you know, good, bad, you know, good, best, fast kind of thing. Or um, it's the, the, the CISO needs to understand that the, the improvement of technology as modified because of that language change, because of the complexity and those tools, while may, may give you a similar level of reporting, there's going to be that whole new layer of the cloud infrastructure. That is that black box that you need to have some insight into. And, the, and that's, uh, you know, that's, that's really what these modern tools like Cloud Checker, like Trusted Advisor, AWS Inspector, Guard Duty, uh, Control Tower, all, the, all those things are helping you provide. So okay. you basically have to convince the CISO that the AWS perimeter is as important as their, as their facility, right? Yeah. Which is really yeah. tough. I mean, you think about the SIMs that they use today and the data they use today and and, and the MSSPs they use today, that they're so used to dealing with, you know, a facility and they talk about fixing their desktops and changing their firewall rules. <laughs> and, you and know, I, the, I think it's mind-blowing. You know, I, I think that, you know, I have a different perspective. I don't know if it's a better answer than Aaron's, but what I would say is, you know, Mike and I came from a large retailer, which is in the news these days as a, a frontline worker. But we, we came from a large retailer, and I would say that is it is as traditional as a place that you could find. I mean, it literally is brick and mortar, brick and mortar, brick and mortar. Um, I don't think you have to sell it anymore. Really? I think everybody's already sold on the cloud. I think it's just a matter of helping them get there. I think the bigger problem these days, you're either a new startup that starts in the cloud, and that's just where you start these days, or you're an older large company or an older medium-sized company or a small company that doesn't know how to get to the cloud. So I think the bigger question is, you know, they come and say, how do you help us move to the cloud? And then how do we secure that once we get in there? So I think, you know, I think we're past the days and I lived through it. We were, we were at the large, re I was one of them. We're not going to the crowd. That's someone else's computer that has access to my stuff. And I think that mentality has gone now. I think that you're more, about the fact that how do I move legacy equipment? How do I make sure it's safe once it's there? Yeah, I, I, I think that there's some, some, something to really be said about that, Steve, because as you mentioned early on, all of a sudden you've got to now take this work from home effort and move everybody there, but you can't, you don't have the scalability or capacity with the, the local equipment, right? So in some cases you're being forced, but I want to follow up on a, on a, question we, we talked a little bit about the perimeter security for aws and yet i constantly hear and i've even seen predictions that 
yet even more are going to be found and exposed. But you always hear about these huge databases that are unprotected, right, that people somehow find a door into on these cloud environments. And AWS is no exception, right? So we talk about this AWS uh, perimeter security. I, doesn't this have to tie into vulnerability uh, assessments in, in in a large degree here that you just can't say, here's your AWS environment, man, we've got you perimetered here, but don't you have to follow up and have that vulnerability capability that goes in and assures that no, you're not, not exposed? Because Micah has developed this great vulnerability platform for us, I'm gonna let him <laughs> answer that question, but you're absolutely correct, but I'll let Micah answer. Micah, you yeah. work in this crap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think vulnerability is always going to be that real key part because it lets you see things and attacks that may happen before they happen. Amazon's never going to like going to be responsible for your actual server or your database's security. That's just not the the realm they're going to get into. They're going to give you that process, and either you turn it over. And you do that vulnerability scanning to make sure you're patching, to make sure you're doing all those traditional security best practices and rules, and you just lock all that down, or, or you're just going to get breached. Um, I think there's another part of that also, though, in AWS that is very different from, um, from the traditional world of doing those kinds of things where they find these large databases or they find these things on the internet is everything in AWS basically connects to their API to their, in some form or fashion, you don't have to actually have a physical IP connection to get to almost any service of theirs. If you have keys to the kingdom. And this is, I think where a large amount of people like really fall down and go into the cloud. Yeah, I don't think people will understand. Like, we should find somebody at Postman to have an interview with who knows security, right? Because a lot of people really don't know API security. Never mind Amazon security, right? And AWS, the world is really restful interfaces and tokens. And, and Amazon, me, bro, like, you're shaking your head, by the way, when you're, you're talking about vulnerabilities. What's, what's going through your head, man? Through me? My head? No, Jeremy. Oh, Jeremy. Oh, yeah, okay. Jeremy, I know he's been drinking too much. Oh, maybe he's falling oh, Maybe a little both. So you're talking about the vulnerabilities that you're shaking your head too. I mean, what are you dealing with with vulnerabilities nowadays? Like when people it's, are going it's to when we do well, when we do scans and we realize or we're doing pen testing for customers and they say, you know, here's our AWS IP address. It's it's like shooting fish in a barrel sometimes. They just don't really appreciate how to properly secure their environment. They, or they don't really read the EULA that says, we're responsible for this, you're responsible for this. And I think that is the biggest failure in the cloud adoption, cloud migration strategy that CIOs, CISOs have, right? Yeah. They rely on too much of the cloud service provider uh, for their security and think that they have no responsibility from that point on, which yeah. is completely the opposite. They're, they're very little about what, I think someone said this earlier, very little about what Amazon is protecting. It's, it's a very small amount to what you're responsible for. 
API okay, keys, hold on, hold on. social gotta... engineering. People have I've seen I've seen publicly open GitHub's accounts where people leave their keys in there. And there you go. I got the soapbox. I got the soapbox. I'm and, ready to go with you, buddy. <laughs> I go in there. I steal their keys. Okay. All right, and I walk in and I take anything I want. Like, Hold so on. We, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab my soapbox that one of my one of my employees at a at a video delivery company I worked for got to me when when we started to talk about Amazon. He's like, "Oh my God, I'm buying you a soapbox," and he did. And I've had, I've kept it for the last ten years. Uh, the the concept of who owns you know, what, what is the true customer responsibility? It is a shared responsibility model. And Amazon, thankfully, is kind enough to go a little over that edge. I, I, you know, I've been at customers before where they get notifications that Amazon has found somebody's security keys out in Git. And those things, you know, it's great that they do those things. However, the, the line in the sand that everybody needs to understand is, once you boot that service and once you log into that console and you make a conscious decision, be it, you know, knowingly or unknowingly, if there is a conscious button click, that is now your choice. You are choosing to open that, that environment up. You are choosing to put that public key out there. You know, I don't leave my front door key under my mat with my credit cards next to it because that's just stupid. But the credit card comes like, well, you know, I... If somebody wants to go steal, break into your house and steal your credit card and run it up, why were you so dumb to leave it on, on your front doorstep overnight? There absolutely has to be some ownership on the customer side of things. And and you know when Micah talks about the complex computer that is that 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 is out there, the complexity becomes an understanding of where that ownership line is. And we try to work really hard with our customers to help them clearly define that line. And also from managed services practice, where we draw the line in, in, in our application or infrastructure ownership. But when you click submit on that on that uh, on that EC2 instance launch, and you know, you rack up a, you know a, what is it the the X series the, the the bare metal hardware that can cost two hundred sixty five thousand dollars a year if you let it run twenty four hours a day on demand, you know if if you made that decision to run a domain controller, that is your decision. And then if you decide to put those keys out in your GitHub, that is your decision. So absolutely, that shared responsibility model. Is so tough for people to understand. And thankfully, Amazon professional services teams have put together <clears throat> four documents, the well-architected review documents that really yeah. help uh, define those responsibilities. So Jeremy, is this another case for Cloud Checker? Right? Yeah. Oh, is this a case for that convince, convince the CIO to spend a little money to save a bunch of money either from breach remediation or um, mis, uh, you know, misconfiguration? Basically, we have right now is a, a a brand new problem that's the exact same as a very old infrastructure problem. By default, Amazon wants to block you from doing everything. The solution that most customers come up with is, well, just let me do everything. It is the <laughs> same problem of, well, the firewall wants to stop you from going everywhere. Well, just allow all the traffic. Well, then why do you have the firewall? Going back to what... Going back to that, yes, Cloud Checker. If you run this, just as I was saying, like almost like a vulnerability service, where you're doing the um, audit checks and you're making a conscious effort to fix those things, it's Cloud Checker is going to expose things like keys being sent to a root account, and it's going to mm -hmm. expose like you have 96 admins right now. It's <laughs> going to expose that 
your ACLs are wide open to the internet and oh, there's 52 RDS instances that could go out right now and they're wide open. Um, it's going to expose all that. And what I see when you talk about vulnerability scanning, you know, those are the keys. Vulnerabilities, traditional vulnerability scanning in the AWS environment, still necessary and using cloud checker and, and making it kind of a patch management slash vulnerability like service. And that's going in and saying, okay, I'm going to put some effort behind fixing these things. I mean, I think it's, it needs to be noted that for, for those of you not in the security world, we see a lot of movies where there's, you know, some super smart guy trying to figure out how to get in your system. The reality is you're not patching these holes and they're just buying it as a service on the internet and running known attacks on your systems and getting in that way. It's easier than coming up with some kind of, oh, I got a new way to get in there. We all see that as well. We all see when algorithms get get figured out and we all see that hackers come up with new ways to get in the systems. But I mean, what would you think, Chris? 90% is just open holes that are there. I mean, that's why Anonymous existed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> Too my point is, is that patch those holes and you'll be fine. You'll be a lot better off than you think. So, so you almost sound like, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at this because it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, you almost sound like there's the industry is ready for a new scanner out there. Almost like a new vulnerability scanner. I mean, it sounds like Cloud Checker will give you some good data. But Micah, are you busy enough on the weekends to write a brand new scanner? I mean, it sounds like there's a new scanner out there where you can run an agent scan and say, these are the vulnerabilities that I'm seeing you not being able to use. And then passively analyze your data. I think there's not enough passive analysis out there. Yeah, there's definitely a two part of that, that, you know, it probably doesn't exist quite yet mm -hmm. in one tool. The ability to check all that from the best practices, to check all that, plus the ability to check for your traditional pen test, vulnerability, patch management, all those things. But even in Cloud Checker, I mean, there's a level beyond that that has to way get, beyond. I mean, Cloud Checker is there to really save you money and to say, hey, you left these six machines running overnight. Well, Cloud like, had, Quinn ran, ran 200 extra machines one night. He's like, oh, thank God for Cloud Checker. <laughs> Cloud Checker will tell you you have 89 admins in your company. It won't necessarily tell you that you also have 500 people that have keys to your billing environment in addition to your server environment. Right. And there's no behavioral analysis either, right? So it's not so, saying, hey, these admins have changed the city state by which they're logging in from. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, there's a there's a lot of weakness in, in both Cloud Checker and the audit capability in AWS itself. <clears throat> Let's just say that they, like I said, they gave you the rudimentary capability and said, hey, I'm giving you the result. You analyze the data. Right. I mean, unless you build a customer and a new client or a company from the ground up in a cloud environment, very, very cautiously and restrictively, it's very hard to stop some of this without regularly checking these kinds of things and regularly auditing through them. Yeah, I mean, technically, you could start a customer from the ground up and give people only ability to run set cloud formation templates that deploy set things into set subnets and no one has access to do anything except the extremely restrictive set that they need to do this stuff. That never happens, ever. No. <laughs> Unless no. you call PTP first. Yeah. <laughs>
So <laughs> call PTP first. Let me ask a follow-up question here then. Vulnerability checking also identifies gaps in your patch levels, right? Uh, for, for products. Uh, OTA in the, the open, uh, I forget what OTA stands for, but it's an open foundation, right? But they did a study with the FBI of all breaches for uh, 2018. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that 95% of all breaches were preventable. 95% of all breaches, right? We it all remember- like every airplane crash is human error. I mean- uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, for example, you know, the Apache struts, right? With, uh, with the, the big credit firm uh, was left un, un, uh, updated. Yeah. But, but, but here we go. We got three guys here from healthcare, right? So, so but here's, here's the question: In the cloud environment, do the customers have the expectation that if if this service is being provided in the cloud in this complex computer environment, that not only the hardware all the way down to the Intel chip that they're running or on the box, right, all the way through the application OS? Is all of that being updated so that it will stay current with all the latest security? Or is that the responsibility of the end user client who uses these AWS type services? Well, you're going to get me in an argument right there. So, so you guys want to answer <laughs> before I start, start getting on my soapbox? I'd like to hear, you know, Steve. Here's, your here's the issue PTP, you guys are dealing with healthcare, right? If they build a dialysis machine, they build a testing machine, and it's built on a ver old version of Java, you're not going to call them up and say, fix it. You mean right? if you're Amazon? Or it's, or it's funny how specific you actually were to one of our, <laughs> one of our customers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, and what, I, and, and and that's why I brought the soapbox out to talk about you know shared responsibility model here. This this goes back to the education on that, and the, and the and the delineation between PTP and our customers. We can go out there and say yes, you know, Micah went off and he he's made it so you can only run CloudFormation templates and you can only do these things. And there's no, there, you know, I'm actually going to call Steve Le Steve uh, least privilege access. <laughs> when our, that's I hear him. That's his favorite favorite phrase. Um, He's privileged. Do He's it. Privileged. Yeah. So we've we've done all of that. However, we're in, there's still There's still software that somebody's writing that needs to be maintained, and it's your responsibility to either educate us as your managed service provider of how we are going to interact with those services. And quite honestly, it would be a rare thing for us to sign because for us to learn the the nuances of everybody's applications, it's then why are they there kind of thing. Um, so they need to make sure that they have the appropriate tools in there, keeping track, you know, watching the CVEs, watching, you know, keeping an eye out there for the applications that they're running. And that is their responsibility. But with the cloud, you now have the ability to say, I can actually focus on those CVEs. I can go upgrade Apache strut because I'm not having somebody wake up. You know, I, you know, that video delivery company one morning at, this guy Ryan walked into the office. I handed him a backpack and a plane ticket filled with a backpack full of 92 drives and a plane ticket and said, you're going to Chicago. And I lost him for three days. I, an engineer gone for three days because he had to go replace hard drives because he had to worry about, or, you know, engineers going and getting lost for cross connects or, you know, whatever these, these manual tasks that are taking your time away from your core business. So if you know your core business and what your core business is trying to deliver, the applications and services that they require we're trying to make it so that you're focused on 
everything, you know, the, everybody, everything above in at 13. I love that. That's, that's, that's a great, I mean, if you're, you sum this whole thing up, I think it's a great point that people don't understand is, is that these organizations have business that's very important to get done and you can't tell them to change their infrastructure. The only thing you do is put a sleeve around it and secure it as best you can. Right. And as technology advances, unfortunately, a lot of this old technology, this legacy, even two years is legacy in our industry is right. I mean, I can't tell you how many GitHub messages I got for a repository I wrote three years ago. It says you just got another vulnerability. I'm like, I'm not updating that damn thing. I don't run it anymore. But, but anyway, so I digress because I'm near the end of my, my second beer. It, it really is called face plant for a reason. Um, <laughs> But, you know, Chris, I will say yeah. that you know, I mean, you had the initial question was, you know, what would we do as PTP if Java was down level? Well, we'd come up with a solution, whether we're, whether we're going to wrap some security around it, whether we're going to help you upgrade it. I mean, we just recently did that with a customer that had old CNC machines that had, and maybe you could help me out, Micah, had, had some vulnerabilities on there just because of the Windows level I think they were running. Um, and we notified them and um, they worked on getting it fixed, but those were, those were machines and that was due to fluency telling us that, Hey, there's some problems out here. Um, and you so I think so. that, you know, from a company perspective, what I'll tell you is we can't tell them, uh, to replace their things, but we can tell them, Hey, you're going to be a lot safer if you do X, Y, Z. And here's how we would do it. Yeah. I mean, it, to tell you the truth, I mean, you guys exist because of this reason. Al, yeah. that's the reason why I kind of started getting a little emotional. It's <laughs> because, I mean, PTP <laughs> exists because if it was so easy just to extend what you're doing in the lab into the AWS cloud, there'd be no need for, for Jeremy or PTP. That's right. Right? We talked right. about it earlier with all the certs that were in AWS. I mean, technology continues to get more and more complex and more and more varied. It is harder and harder for you to hire two or three engineers and expect them to be able to do everything and know everything and keep track of everything. More and more, you've got to have specialized people into specialized exactly. areas. You're like the farmers of, 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 of security, right? You know, I've seen that. You know, there's a squirrel that jumped onto my my heart rate system, AKG, instead of messing. I've seen it. I've seen it. I can tell you how to handle it, right? I mean, it's 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 basically the reason why you handle or why you pass on the baton to an MSSP is because their breadth of vision on that product base and that capability is going to be larger than internally, and it's going to allow you to do your business, right? Uh, like I said, I'm done with my, I'm sadly done. <laughs> so Jeremy, if you could add a little bit more color on that, because I'm beginning to believe that, that this whole concept of managed uh, MSSP environments says that, yeah, we're going to watch for security events, but vulnerability probably is going to play about a 50 plus percent role of the, uh, of the environment, of the relationship we do with you. Can you talk Come a little bit about that? Too? Let me step in. 90% is stupidity. 10% is vulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're, if you're working with an MSSP that isn't part, is, doesn't offer vulnerability assessment or vulnerability management as part of their package, uh, you're making a mistake. Cool. Um, 
that's that's really the key because you just watching logs isn't providing a security service got it yeah that's how i tell you that you've already been breached it's less <laughs> to prevent being breached so yeah. have you been pwned today <laughs> yes so I'm going I'm to change the topic just for a second because I know Chris has already fallen flat in his face with the second beer. Yeah, I, I'm about to go for a third. That's not going to be Hurry good. Hurry it up, Al. I'm, I'm through this double. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting. I, I, I I'd like to get a response both from you, Steve, and Micah, and then a response from Jeremy to this question. In this, uh, As we talked about this whole COVID experience where people have got to transition to work from home, what are some of the guidance areas that you can give companies as their employees are making this transition, again, from your experience of what you're seeing through logs and other user behavior activity, right? Uh, what, what kind of guidance can you give to companies uh, today who are still looking at moving their people out to a work from home environment? Well, a couple of things. First, I would say make sure that you, I mean, it, it's a little bit more like the, the roof is leaking, let's go fix it now. But if you haven't been doing user education, you should have been. <laughs> so we <laughs> use a product called Know Before to, to help our customers. But Kevin, you know, please take my invite to do a meeting. Thank you. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. I, I think the stats are, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to pull them out this time, but uh, I don't have them in front of me. 800 plus thousand hosts have come online with either COVID virus or um, Corona, not the good kind of Corona. Um, 150,000, I think Risk IQ reported 150,000 spam emails per day are coming out with, uh, with these kind of uh, malware kind of temptation attacks, uh, you know, you combine that with the legit businesses. I don't know how you guys have handled the legit businesses. I mean, Kohl's is ready to save me in the coal, in the coronavirus uh, pandemic at this point. They have the perfect shirt. Well, they have shirts on sale. So um, PayPal, and I know it's not PayPal, but I know PayPal keeps telling me that due to the corona incident, someone has accessed my account. Please click on this link to log in. So I think one of the biggest things right now is I hope that you've trained your users. If you haven't, make sure you're in contact with your users, telling them what's going on from a um, malware perspective and the amount of phishing that's going on right phishing, now. And you, Jeremy, do you read that article that phishing, the business of selling phishing kits is up 25%? Oh, yeah. Uh, and we can, and from some of the work that we do in the CTI League, we see that that uh, that attack vector being as the primary exploit right we're constantly uh identifying new domains coming online that have something to do with coronavirus or covid19 or um i keep on getting voicemail attacks i don't know about you al i got like Chinese five or six a day i got a voicemail anyways go on <laughs> um uh, I, I i i keep getting text messages from the politicians i never gave them my information for that yeah, I, take I that did. go away. The politicians have all your information. Don't worry. God, I wish I could all. They all. They all can go away. Both sides gone. I'm joining, I'm joining the, my libertarian, who's my next door neighbor. I'm done. Jeremy, we've heard the term some of his insights for or guidance, the training, which I happen to believe is very important because all too often what I see 
is that a lot of the behaviors that an employee would do at home in their privacy of their home, which they're entitled to do, they're bringing them over and starting to do that on corporate assets and corporate networks and corporate time, right? Be it watching Netflix during business hours to go into online gaming sites to all these other things, uh, you know, fishing sites, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So what guidance do you have, Jeremy? Well, if you haven't done it, probably, if you have the ability to do layer seven traffic management, right, or web filtering with your firewalls, turn off porn, turn off Netflix, any kind of stuff like that. Because now all that's gonna do is going to suck up the bandwidth uh, because because users aren't people are working from home and they just want to go to Netflix and they don't care what machine they're on but they don't realize the impact of running Netflix through your corporate network over the VPN right the kids, so if you, if you block kids. all that stuff again the kids how many times we had a couple of the children not exactly the children alerts. and it's the children using yeah. the machines I, I mean so I think but but yeah. But even still, if that stuff is turned off, you're going to save a bunch of bandwidth. You're going to make the user experience, the business experience on the on the VPN better. The other thing I would say, if you have the budget availability, consider VDI. Whether that's through Citrix or that's through VMware, or you want to do something in the cloud, consider VDI as an alternate rather than having to invest the money in delivering hardware. And we can help uh, you and securing that hardware. What you say, Micah? We can help you set up AWS workspace. <laughs> That's the thing we can do. I can connect it to your yeah. Office 365 environment. We and free to organizations under 50 users until July 1st. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I also believe in the Cisco product umbrella as far as like kind of a safety net to. We like umbrella. We we, we think umbrella is solid too. I think the problem with umbrella is cost. Really yeah. is just the priciest. But yeah. what it does, it's you know, it's open DNS. Right. If you're gonna send all that number of people home, I think you either VDI kind of solutions are great. And if not, if you have the budget to invest in things like carbon black or some of those endpoint protections. Yeah, we like stuff, the big three around here. They like will the they will save you from a lot of a lot of things. But I would say back to Al's original, like if the biggest things I would talk about sending people home would be like Steve talked about user education, make sure you've got two factor like enabled through your company. Cause you know, if you can't protect the device that they're potentially working from and the network they're working across, have the two factor running and go with your least privilege models. You, you know, lock down users' ability to make changes to only the things that they need that are in the scope of their job. You just stop the surface of attack. Yeah, I think we're, we're wrapping up as much now. As you can. Steve, Steve, he brought up your name, least privilege. <laughs> you, have, you have any last words? Well, you know, my name's least privilege. I, you know, I was going to have a drinking game that every time Micah said Lambda that I would drink, but literally no one has said Lambda the entire time. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let that go, but remember that next time. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, just that we're, we've been talking about putting those security tools in place, making sure that your users are as protected as possible, um, watching that ingress into your environment because to, uh, to the points that have been made that, you know, 
people are going to start watching Netflix. There's going to be a lot more remote user. If you have a traditional network and you're coming in, your firewalls are going to be more taxed and VPN devices are more taxed than ever. So, um, and, and like I said, the wrap up is user education as well, but yeah, right. I, think, I think that's it. Man, Put the bow on you, it. you got a soapbox here, bro. That's, that's the surface. <laughs> <laughs> the soapbox is when you're looking at the cloud, know your, know your role, know where you sit under, take the time to really focus on what it is that you need to do be it from a finance perspective, technology perspective, and the rest of it, trust in the cloud provider, sign up for those uh, you know, BAA agreements, get all the artifacts, get the certifications, and then stop worrying about the, you know, the, the underpinnings that make all that happen. Focus on your business, focus on your security, make sure the things that you're responsible for, you do well. Because... Cool. We've yeah. we spent so much time so, in the data centers and pulling cables and all that. It's gone now. Let's move yeah, into what it. What I'm hearing from you, and, and, and I know you're, you're giving your last soapbox speech, but you're saying, listen, focus on your business and outsource what you don't know instead of trying to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Get right. I would, I would have been, instead of hiring an entire department of people to do that for you, <laughs> hire, you know, outsource that because the first step to Micah's point earlier you really want to set it up right? Yeah. You're going to have to hire a department before you set it up right. So avoid that cost. Focus on what you do well. Get someone that's already done it um, and does it well and does it efficiently. What are you thinking, Jeremy? I'm wrapping up. That sounds like a, I sounds mean, like a plan. <laughs> it sounds like a plan. This is the uh, this is a, a great show. These uh, these guys know what they're doing. Fundamentals of blocking and tackling, just in anything, just fundamentals. Yeah, absolutely. And one day, one day we're gonna have a, we're gonna do what a show with with Al, and Al's gonna show us his Office 365 spreadsheet, <laughs> and he's gonna show you all the different event IDs and op codes that possibly occur. And here um, I thought I could reminisce back in the day, and, and we talked about pulling cables, Aaron. Right yeah. back in the day when I hired into IBM working on the 360 mainframes, right. Uh, and they, they, you had 250K cast machines that had power distribution cables that were this thick that would have to be run out to them. That would take three to four guys to run underneath the floor. 480 a.m. He's really old. 480 a.m. It's like a Simpson episode with Al. It's like, I remember the Vax DM. We used to thrash that by making a yeah, There's a success story here because he's done all that, and now he's the captain of the Starship Enterprise. He is. That's right. Woo! Look how far he's come. <laughs> From cable jockey to cow. <laughs> That's right. Back to the Space Force man over there. Yeah. Well, it's been awesome, man. I appreciate it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with beer, and, and I need to get another one, but it's in a different room. Um, <laughs> so we just wrap up. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, Thank you for having us. You. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see how we go and listen. I'll probably ask you back here every once in a while on, on a bunch of AWS stuff because, trust me, the world is – the new world is, is definitely moved to a, a different place, and nobody was ready for it. Right, we always promised that nobody was ready. Yeah. <laughs> Check right, out Jeremy. No dogs. What happened to the freaking dogs? He came in. He came in. One. Came in once. One. Get the gardener out there. You should. You. We had this one episode. Oh my goodness. Stop. 
because the gardener came out and the dogs wanted to hump his leg. They were just barking the whole time. (laughs) One last thing for you. Since we started off before we started recording, talking about our our instruments here, check out Deep Composer. It's uh, AI-generated music with Alexa. AI-generated music. Yep. Interesting. I'm trying to learn... The intro to Spirit to Radio, you know, the uh, Rush song. And, uh, yeah. uh, it's going to take me a couple months before. But I, a couple lines of code, it will happen for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is what solitary confinement has done to me. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, I'm rooting for hockey teams that don't exist. <laughs> Jeremy, I heard there might do a hockey playoff without, like, any other more games. You hear about that? Yeah, Maybe. just wherever you were in the standings, this is where you are. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to They're going to play it. for and. And they're going to play at empty stadiums, which will be weird. But I don't care, just as long as we get hockey back. I agree with you 100%. And I would have gone for that baseball the same way. I, I'm sorry, concession people, but uh, I'm ready to watch some sports. I'm tired of iRacing. And I can't yeah. watch NBA, NBA, NBA guys playing uh, 2K or whatever. It just, it just doesn't play some games. I don't care if it's dodgeball. I, I'll, take, I'll take the Ocho in, in dodgeball right now. Take up running, man. Did you Take run that running. one? Did you, that? Run the, did, you, did you run the marathon there? I, I've done 17 marathon, 17 fulls, uh, 50Ks, uh, 50 milers. Uh, so I, I, and I did the, uh, this is the year that I did the, uh, the, the dopey the challenge. Goofy. So Thursday, you're on a 5K. Yeah, you did the Friday, goofy. 10, half, and then full. God, so I wanted to do that one. Yeah, I, you way above me. I've done That's a hard 10. pass. I've done 10, and then um, I just had my second knee surgery. I did this ago. So hey, hold on. Six weeks I ago. The, I did the dopey in. <laughs> when did I do that? 2017. 2017. Which one did you do? I did the dopey. 2017. Yeah. Mine 14. Yep. Yeah. So I I mean I'm gonna speak for Al and Jeremy. If no one's chasing us. <laughs> We're not running. I, I'm, I'm just, like, just going here. Thank you very much. All right, we're, we're going to end on that one. We'll get the we'll get the guitars out next time. There we go. Right. Thanks, everybody. I got to go. Thanks, go guys. Take care. Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Cool.